0: Open your
1: Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We'll begin tonight at verse 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers' houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi according to their families. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi according to their generations." Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. The sons of Izhar were Koran, Nepheg, and Zikri, and the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon, as wife. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Aser, Alcana, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Pudiel, his wife, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers of the Levites, according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt bring out the children of Israel from Egypt these are the same Moses and Aaron grass withers the flower fades the word of our God stands forever let's pray father we're tempted to get lost in the blizzard of strange names to tune out to say whatever value is in the Bible is somewhere else not right here father don't let us do that. Help us to pay attention to your word and to what you are telling us by listing these families of Levi. Give us the grace to pay attention, to grow in grace and in love for the Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Illuminate our hearts to understand, we pray. Help me to speak boldly, accurately, accurately, and powerfully, with demonstration of the Spirit, so that the gospel would not be in word, but in power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's promises run in families. Peter emphasized that in our text this morning. The promise is for you and your children. The genealogy teaches the same thing. God's promise is not just for one generation. Our generation has come. Our generation will go. God's promise will remain. Surely, of course, the first one in this genealogy, I've broken it down in chart form on the back of the bulletin to get the core, the most important information that this genealogy conveys, which is the line from Levi through Kohath and Amram, Aaron, Eliezer, and Phinehas, those six generations That core, surely Levi, did not know his great-great-great-grandson, Phineas. And yet the promise of God was just as important in the life of Phineas as it was in the life of his great-great-great-grandfather, Levi. Does our vision extend, in other words, beyond our lifetime? That's a challenge to which these genealogies point us. Do we believe that the promises of God will last for 490 years and long, long after that? Jonathan Swift, of course, has the vision of the strolled bugs who live in one of the countries which Gulliver visits and they are cursed to eternal life and they lose all interest in their descendants after their great-grandchildren. They don't even care. Is that true of us? Do you pray for your descendants? So the genealogy begins this way, that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, verse 13, and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God's vision is not just multi-generational, it also cuts across party lines. God's command is not one-sided, it's not just for Pharaoh, let my people go. It's also to his people telling them to go, leave Egypt. God's command is for Pharaoh, and it's also for the children of Israel. God doesn't have double standards, one set of commands for one group and a different set for another group. No, these two commands dovetail with each other. Israel, you leave. Pharaoh, you let them go. God's commands, though, who do they come through? Well, they come through Moses and Aaron. Who are Moses and Aaron? How do they fit into this story that we've been hearing since Genesis chapter 1? We Clearly, the narrative has focused in, since Genesis 12, on the family of Abraham. Where are they in Abraham's family? Well, they're descended from Abraham's great-grandson, the patriarch Levi. And in fact, there's several iffy things in this genealogy. So it starts by mentioning Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Oh yeah, that's the guy who took his father's concubines back in the book of Genesis. And then Simeon, the second son. Oh yeah, it appears that he had some legitimate sons. And then he also had one over here on the side with A Canaanite woman. And then uh, Levi, oh yeah, he's the one who with his brother Simeon slaughtered an entire town after committing the ruse of saying, yeah, you can date my sister once you're all circumcised. And on the third day when they were all sore, he and his brother just went into town and went to town, killed every last male in the place. This is the family that God is using to save the world? These people? That's what Moses tells us. And Moses then goes on to record, well, Levi, yeah, that's my great-grandpa. He had a son named Kohath. who had a son named Amram. That was my dad, and my dad married his aunt. Which is a little awkward. Especially since Moses is going to go on in his next book to forbid that. that in Leviticus it says you can't marry your aunt. But Moses is honest enough to say my mom and dad had this weird aunt-nephew thing going on. Again, what's the point? No matter how crazy your family is you have no excuse to say Well, God can't save in this situation. No, it's precisely through the broken and the strange and the very messed up that God sent his promise to save the world. Notice, too, that the family proliferates. Levi has three sons and eight grandsons. God promised that they would multiply, so they do go from 1 to 3 to 8. And the book of Numbers records how much more they multiplied. Also, they're long-lived. Tells us the age at death for some of the people in the main line. Levi, 137 years. Kohath, 133 years. Amram, again, 137 years. And Aaron, at the time of this genealogy, is 83 Years old, as it mentions in chapter 7, verse 7. Now, what's interesting is that you add those up and you get a certain number. We'll talk about that in just a second. There's one more name here that I want to point out. That's in verse 23. This is the name that we already saw in Luke chapter 3. The name is Aminadab, and the other name is Nashon. Who is Aminadab? And who is his son Nashon? Well, those are people in the line of David. Those are people from the tribe of Judah. That's the line of Christ. So Amminadab has this daughter, Elisheba. And Aaron marries her. So we have in Aaron, the founder of the priestly line of Israel. His wife is from the royal line. The king and the priest come together already here at the beginning of Israel's history while they're still in Egypt. Pretty amazing that these hints of king and priest coming together in one are already to be seen this early in the Pentateuch. Of course, far before this. There are various hints about the Messiah who is to come, who is to be king and priest, and prophet. God is preparing everything for his people. That's what this genealogy tells us. God's people were exiled from his presence in Genesis chapter 3, cast out of the garden. The people try to get back into God's presence with the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, tower whose top is in the heavens, God frustrates that project and instead, in the next chapter, calls Abraham. No, this is how I'll save the world. Not with technology, not with a giant city and tower, but through a family, a very broken, sad, in some ways, family. That's how God is going to save the world. And he calls Abraham... And through Abraham, he then promises your descendants will go to Egypt for 400 years and so on. But when they come out, I'll give them a land. And in that land would be the tabernacle and then the temple. God would come back and live with his people again. And most of Exodus, well, half of Exodus is about the construction of the tabernacle and how God came to live with his people in the wilderness. The tabernacle is only as good as the personnel who run it. There would be no used for the tabernacle without Levites. So this genealogy is telling us, where did the Levites come from? How was it that God's people could worship him? Through the whole Levitical system. Well, God provided a son for Jacob named Levi. And that son had other sons, one of whom would be the high priestly line, Aaron, Eliezer, Phinehas the rest of whom would serve and do the grunt work of the tabernacle. So finally, then, what this genealogy does for inquiring minds is present conundrums and difficulties, and hence the other function of the chart there on the page. Already in Genesis 17, or Genesis 15, God tells Moses, your descend- God tells Abraham, your descendants will be slaves in Egypt four generations, 400 years. So reading this genealogy, the commentators uniformly say, we're not sure what went wrong. But clearly, 400 years is a lot more than four generations. Now, I've just done some preliminary calculations here with this chart. I'm not sure how to format it better, but I know that there is a way. There's some various information that we need to piece together. Numbers chapter 3 says that one year after this in Exodus 7 or Exodus 6 there were a certain number of people who left Egypt. And it tells us that In Aaron and Moses' family, the Kohathite branch of the tribe of Levi, there were 8,600 descendants of Levi. There were 8,600 Kohathites when Moses was 81 years old. Now, what does that mean? Well... Roughly a quarter of those were descendants of Amram because Kohath had four sons. And therefore, by the time Moses was around 80 years old, he had 2,147 brothers and nephews. Now, is that possible for a man to have that many nephews in just 80 years and the answer of course is no it's not possible for anyone's family to increase that much in 80 years so there are various things people have proposed maybe they say maybe the amram of verse 18 is a different amram than the amram of verse 20 another guy with the same name several generations later And the Bible is just kind of leaving out a few of those generations. Or maybe the whole thing is a symbolic picture. If you add the 133s and 137s together, you can get uh, some pattern with the number 60 going. And it's trying to tell us something symbolic. And of course, others, the non-believers, simply say, well, the guy who put this together was an idiot who put in a pack of improbable lies, and the only people dumber than the guy who assembled this are the people who believe it's God's infallible word. So what do we make of this problem? Well, uh, what I make of it, of course, is to go to Microsoft Excel and just do a few calculations, which you have here on the back of your bulletin. So... If we just work with the numbers in the text, we see that the total number of years, 137 plus 133 plus 137 plus 83 is 490. Now, the Bible tells us elsewhere that it was 430 years that the Israelites were in Egypt. Therefore, we've got 60 years to work with. 60 years of overlap across these four generations. At least two of these people were alive at the same time across a total of 60 years. Now, if we say that Levi was already 40 when he came to Egypt, we still have 20 years of overlap across four generations. What does that mean? Well, if Kohath is born in the last few years of his father's life, if Amram is born in the last few years of his father's life, if Aaron is born in the last few years of his father's life, then the numbers actually can add up. (coughs) That is, if we posit that Aaron and Moses are way younger than the rest of their generation. Not necessarily the most probable thing, but on the other hand, not particularly improbable either. So my great-grandmother died about 10 years ago. But one of her sisters died just a few months ago. Now, if my great-grandma's sister had been male, she could conceivably have fathered a child who would be 90-some years younger than one of his cousins, somebody who's from the same generation. Now, if you repeat that pattern two or three times in a row, you can pretty easily come up with a man who is the fourth generation from Levi, living at the same time when most of the people around him are the tenth generation from Levi. If you go to the genealogy in 1 Chronicles, it traces the genealogy of Joshua, Moses' helper, from Levi's brother Ephraim. And there are ten generations from Ephraim down to Joshua. So presumably there were about 10 generations of ordinary length during the time in Egypt. Now there are some different parameters here you can play with, but what I speculated here is 45 years per generation each generation has 3.6 sons. So if you put those numbers in 45 years per generation in Levi's lifetime there are Approximately three generations. And if, so, if you multiply three, three generations by three sons per generation, you come out with 11. And then Kohath's lifetime, approximately three generations. Again, you multiply the numbers together and you get about 117 total Levites living by the end of that process. Amram, third generation, but three more generations during his lifetime, we're already looking at 1,300, and by the time you get to Aaron, there's about 8,500, which is exactly what the text says, 8,600 people left in the Kohathite family. So in other words, it's quite possible that by the time Moses was 80, he had about 2,147 brothers and nephews great-nephews, great-great-great-nephews, and so on. That most of them were many generations younger than he was. Now again, our call is not to explain what happened in order for these facts to be written down. All we have to show to satisfy ourselves is that it is possible for all of the facts to fit into a coherent framework. That is, there's no necessary contradiction. For example, my youngest first cousin is the same age as Kenny and Marilyn. That makes me 26 years older than he is. That's the same generation. My first cousin, not removed at all. And again, even at 26 years apart, if you repeat that enough times, you can fit several more generations in, uh, so that one person would be the fourth generation and another the seventh or eighth generation. So, in ordinary conversations in daily life, in talking to farmers, to tradesmen, you will hear two things that, put together from your limited perspective, don't make any sense. And you will say, that doesn't make sense. And then they'll back up and explain. Here's why what I said makes perfect sense. And you'll say, oh, right the day I was writing this sermon, I was under a car with Dane, turning the flywheel. And I turned my ratchet handle about this much, you know, 10 degrees. And he said, you turn this three inches too far. And I said, how is that possible? I moved this less than a quarter of an inch. And he said, well, you're turning this little tiny bolt head that's attached to a wheel this big. And when it turn, when you turn it 10 degrees, it moves three inches. And there are many, many other situations like that in our lives, including this one where God says both four generations and 430 years. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Might have been some very unhappy moms who quickly became single moms, but it's possible. The Bible's concern is not with telling us everything we might ever want to know about how everything took place. Right? Thank God. How tedious would such a book be that explained in detail all of the backstory? Right, If you're interested in that kind of literature, there are the revised statutes of the state of Wyoming. And if you want more of it, there's the United States Code. And you can move on to the law codes of other nations. It is ridiculous and exhausting. The Bible skips that stuff and tells us what's important. God made a promise. He made the promise to Abraham's family. Here are some of the people in Abraham's family, to whom and through whom the promise was realized. So Aaron and Moses, this is them. This is their family background. This is where they're from. This is who they are. This same Aaron and Moses. Right. The text tells us about three times. These are the same Aaron and Moses. These are the ones. These are the same Moses and Aaron. Why this emphasis? Well, Pharaoh, of course, claimed to be the incarnation of the god Ra. I'm a god. Don't mess with me. Moses and Aaron are not gods. They are very much ordinary mortals. Coming in and announcing the word of the true god to this pharaonic demigod who sits on the throne of Egypt and claims that he's hot stuff. These are them, right? In one corner, superpower royalty. In the other corner, very normal two old men, one eighty, the other eighty-three. Coming in and making this announcement. You too have heard from God. You're the recipient of divine speech in the Bible, in sermons. Like the people of Israel of old, then, you have God's promise, you have God's provision, you have God's supervision of your family, where you came from, who you are. Who are these people? They're God's people. That's the ultimate answer that Exodus 6 gives. If you're one of God's people, if you're God's man, if you're God's woman, you should expect the same blessings and trials that befell Moses And Aaron, in some way, shape or form, you will go through many experiences just like they did. And you should seek what they had, the word of God that worked in them for the deliverance of their people. It was important not only that Jesus came, but what family he came from. He needed to be from a certain family. And in the same way, not to the same degree, but in the same kind of way, it's important not only that you're here, but what family you came from. Where God has placed you with the callings that go with that position. God knows that. God controls that. God is working in and through that to do His will and bring His kingdom. He knows your background. He'll work within it for his glory and your good. He did it with Moses and Aaron. He did it with Jesus. He's still doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your provision, your promise that ran rampant in the lives of Moses and Aaron. And it continues to run rampant in our lives. Lord, we thank you that every one of your words proves true and that you are a shield to all those who put their trust in you. We pray tonight for our great-grandchildren and their descendants. The generations to come, we ask that your promise would not fail to them. Lord, if our descendants should be sitting in this very spot, living right here in Gillette, worshiping you 500 or 1,000 years from now. We pray that you would bless them and keep your promise to them as you did to Levi and to his great-grandson Phineas and to their further descendants down to this very day. Don't forsake us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.